Hi, everybody. Welcome to Over Coffee, the podcast produced by Larry Davis and myself, John Dorn. Uh, we talk about hope and inspiration, just great things in life and opportunity and amazing people. And today we have like one of my favorite people on earth. My wife actually introduced me to this gentleman uh, a long time ago, probably yeah. 10, 11 years. <laughs> yeah. So this is a businessman, a banker, a pastor, a husband, a father, a podcaster, just an amazing man with an amazing message. And this is Pastor David Friend, and we're so glad to have you here today, sir. Well, it's good to be here, John. Thank I'm you. Looking forward Thank to you. it. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. So tell us, I mean, you've been through a lot of things, I mean, from Vietnam to having a diagnosis of, of life-ending cancer and and building a church and, and, and moving out of the church and moving on. Tell us a little bit about your inspiration that, that has driven you through all this life. Well, I guess, you know, the name of your, you're looking at hope. Yeah. People have that in their yeah. life. Well, it's really, you know, having a life filled with hope and dreams and plans. You know, the, the Bible, I base so much of my stuff I teach on or whatever on the word of God. And mm-hmm. the Bible tells us that God created us with a purpose and hope and, and, uh, and a plan for our life. And so I'm, I believe that. And, sure. and I've seen it ex- happen in my life. I've been through some, Many things I've been told by doctors on three different occasions that I was yeah, no, I had great. terminal Amazing. illnesses and was never going to live and mm-hmm. and yet evidently the good Lord had another plan for that so sure. I'm still here today and sure. uh, giving Him all praise and also thanking the Lord for good doctors and 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 just living life with an anticipation or an expectation of good things going to happen in our lives. Mm-hmm. If you look that way, it's not the power of positive thinking. Sure, it's a whole different thing. It's having faith and trust and hope that God's got a good plan for our life. And there are a lot of good things that can happen to us. We just have to go out and find them and look for them mm-hmm. and do the best we can to get all the negative stuff away. Cause there's yeah. certainly a lot of negativity going around today. Yeah. And I mean, the devil's out there. He's coming after you, right? Yeah. So it, it's, oh yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a crazy thing. I mean, how do you stay on the path though? I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's coming at you all the time, especially in today's world, you know? Yeah. You know, I've, there's something I read in the Bible years ago. It was the apostle Paul uh, had a little teaching and he said, uh, we call forth those things that are not as though that they are. What people say, what, what's that mean? Well, it, what it means is re, we can receive everything from what we call nothing. You know, I've had people, you've all, we've all had people come and say, oh, I've lost it all. I've lost everything. I've lost my business. Sure. I've lost this, whatever. And I like to stop and tell them, I said, well, you really haven't lost anything because you're still here, you know? And, and if you, if you have a relationship with the Lord, then you have everything there. So I'm a big believer that if there's a problem taking place, I like to imagine myself not in that problem, but I like to see myself in the solution to that problem. And I like to call forth things that are not as though they are. So when I was diagnosed with an illness, the doctor looked at me and says, you've got bone marrow cancer. It's, it's really bad. Three quarters of your plasma cells in your bone, in your, your, your bone marrow are malignant. At three out of every four which that's it's a just, devastating diagnosis. Yeah, and he time. looked at me, he says, so I, I don't know how to tell you this, but if our treatments don't work, you probably only have about six months to live. And I put my head down, I mean, just for a second. And I said, so, so doctor, you, what you're saying is you're trying to scare me with heaven. What I was really <laughs> saying was, is that I have faith greater than this situation. But even that I was saying, look, this is just something that's right now. I see myself going through this and coming out the other side of it. If we can see that the uh, that there's a good side at the end of a problem we're going through, then we've got hope sure. and we've got faith and trust. And so I'm just a believer in that. And and when a challenge hits, I just believe that hey, this is temporary. This is a go. I was on the phone with a guy on the way over here and he was just diagnosed with a terrible cancer diagnosis. And he says, I, 
I know how you handled yours and all mm -hmm. that. And he says, what, where do we go from here? And I said, well, why don't we just think about what do you want to receive when you're through this and you're healed and the doctors take care of you and you're, you're blessed. What do you do with, want to do with the rest of your life? And he's like, the rest of my life, I don't think I'm going to be here. I said, oh, no, no, no. We don't even want to think about sure. that. Don't allow your circumstances to rob you of your future mm -hmm. and the hope that we have for our future. Absolutely amazing. So you've had the opportunity to counsel thousands of people, I would imagine, oh, at this oh, yeah. point, right? And I know you've actually counseled my wife and I in marriage and, and finances, and it's been absolutely amazing. So how do you how do you approach that with folks? Like, that's a brilliant story, but is that a common approach to in, when you're talking to people to, to uplift them? Yeah, I... I got to get people off of their circumstances. You know, sure. if we're going through trials and anybody out there is going through trials, you, you've got to say to yourself, okay, I've got this problem. I'm in the middle of this thing, but you know, I'm not going to live here. I'm going to plan my life for what I want to see happen rather than what's happening. And we don't allow the circumstances we're going through to rob us of any plan for our future. Mm -hmm. And and if we can get their eyes to thinking about what they want to see happen in their life, what, when you get healed, when you get restored, when you get lifted up, when you get out of your bankruptcy, when your divorce is settled and you've got your life's going to move on, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And start focusing your thoughts and your heart and your mind on what you want to see in life and call forth those things that are not as though they are. See yourself as being healthy. See yourself as being productive. Seeing yourself of having success in your life and move on and then go out and claim it and believe for it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this, the thing about hope, it kind of reminds me of the word faith. Mm -hmm. Now, we both had, we all had hope and faith when we came in this room and sat in these chairs. Yeah, we have faith that these chairs <laughs> yeah. are going to hold us up, right? Yeah. And we have hope and faith that this will record. We won't have to do it 14 times, sure. you know, and we'll get through this and everything, that the lights will be on. So mm -hmm. we all have a certain amount of hope in our life, right? Well, that's, I like to translate that to faith because faith and hope are similar. Mm -hmm. The Bible says that faith is a substance. Think about this. When you're talking about hope, Think about the fact that hope is something that I can reach out and grab and take mm -hmm. hold of. It's a substance of things hoped for, that I have faith for, that I believe in. Mm -hmm. When you get married, you have faith and hope to what? Have a long marriage for the rest of your life. Doesn't always work that way, but on the other hand, that's the plan. Sure. And we marry for what? For better, for worse, and richer, yeah, yeah, poorer, yeah. and all that yep. good Absolutely, stuff. Absolutely, right. Well, the bottom line of it is we say that because we want it to last. And so- Hope is believing that there's something for us in the future. Yeah. So yeah. we all have a common uh, common interest in real estate or banking. Yeah. Yeah. And you have lived through a number of ups and downs in that market and industry. And we're going into one again. Yeah. Which was your worst time, your most difficult time in, in your faith, challenging yourself to believe if faith really existed and how did you overcome that? Well, I... I guess it's been, for me, it's been a lot of physical stuff uh, because I've never worried about material stuff that much. I, I remember when we, my wife and I started our real estate development company. Now you might be wondering, are you, is he a preacher? Is he a real estate <laughs> developer? Is he a banker? Well, just so you know, I've, I spent 15 years as a banker and then 20 years as a real estate developer and now 24 years as a, uh, a pastor and <laughs> a spiritual counselor, right? that type of thing. So I've had kind of diversity of, of experiences. Some different careers? Yeah, different yeah. careers. And and people say, well, then how old are you? I Well, I'm about 165, <laughs> you know, and, and still going on. But but I guess the answer to that question is a lot of my issues have been physical, but I can remember one time uh, uh, a financial thing hit. My wife and I had our real estate company. We put everything we had in, in land and investing and building these properties. And we had these big loans to get all these houses going. And we had 
a bunch of houses under construction. And I looked at her and she says, well, what, what do we do if they don't sell? And I said, you know, I got to thinking about that the other day. And I said, remember how much fun it was when we had our first apartment, when we first got married? <laughs> I said, we would have the privilege of going back there. And you know, she started laughing. She yeah. said, well, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. But just think about that. When you're in the midst of trouble, you can go back and claim something in your past that was really fun. Mm -hmm. When couples come to me and they're having marital problems, and I mean, they're really fighting each other and they're in my office and they are, I mean, they're cussing each other out. Oh, it's, yeah. It gets to be brutal sometimes. And I'll tell them, we just stop. Could we just go back? How long have you been married? Well, 20 years. Well, let's go back 21 years ago when you met. Mm. How was it? Well, you liked each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, right? well, you guys actually liked it. <laughs> yeah. well, you want to spend time together. Yeah. And you know, it's amazing how many times I go, well, you know, you know, he used to be always such and such. And the guy's going, you know, I need to be that way again. And she'd say the same thing. I says, well, then why don't you go on a date tonight and think that, that, that when you went on your first, second, third, fourth date, whenever, when you started enjoying each other. And I like to try and get people to focus on the result outside of the trial you're going through. So when I told her, well, the worst thing that can happen to us, we're still together. That's not going to change. Mm -hmm. We still have our two children. That's not going to change. We're just going to be living in a different location. Yeah. <laughs> and what difference does it make? Because we can turn around and do it all over again. Right. It's like the story. There was an old TV program. I just loved it. It was an old TV program, The Cosby Show. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and Bill Cosby, and he was Mr. Um, whatever his name was, Hux, Huxtable or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it was. Dr. Well, Huxtable. Dr. Huxtable. Yeah. And so 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 um, his son, Clee, um Cleo or whatever his name was, his son looked at him and said, dad, he says, um, we're rich. You know, we're about it. He says, uh, no, son, I have to explain something to you. No, no, you're not rich. Your <laughs> you're, you're mama and I are rich. Yeah. And his son said, well, I don't like that. And he said, and Bill says to his son, he says, well, um, if you don't like it, he says, you know, if you don't like what's happening here, he says, don't worry about it. I can take you out anytime I want. Yeah. <laughs> and the kid went kind of like this. And he says, and you think I'm worried about losing you? He says, mom and I can get together and create another one just like you. Oh, wow. And so when you think about that, yeah. he's looking to what? What can be rather than what is. Sure. And that's sure. really how we arrived. We got through the difficult times, the financial problems, the challenges with, uh, uh, with business, the problems with health issues. Sure. You look sure. to a greater result. So did you move back into a small apartment or how did you <laughs> overcome it? No, we didn't. We, <laughs> we wound up uh, being a little creative and mm -hmm. wound up getting a home from somebody else that was getting ready to lose their house, another developer. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do here. I'll take this over from you, whatever. And next thing you know, we lived, we were still living in a nice home. It just took longer to get it done, but we just worked together sure. and made it happen. Understanding that there's, we're, we don't really lose anything. If we lose this business, if we don't sell that property, what have we lost? we still have the most important thing and that is we have each other. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the way we should go through life, whether it be health, whether mm -hmm. it be finances, whether it be investing or whatever. And God blessed it. And sooner or later, the stuff started selling. But there's been some pretty rough real estate markets in the years. Yeah. I was in it back in 1986 and the Tax Reform Act happened. And the company I was with lost about 75% of the value of the company. Uh, and uh, that was a difficult time. Yeah. So instead of, being worried about that, we went on and switched from what we were doing to something else. Sure. And yeah. moved Just on pivot. with life. M pivot. Moved on with life, knowing that we still had had hope and had a future. Sure. So yeah. kind of interesting question that's just kind of coming to me while we're sitting here. Yeah. I mean, how do you relate prayer to hope? 
And it, you know, what's, how does that tie together? I mean, cause I, I think sometimes people use prayer maybe in a way they shouldn't, but it's not up to me to judge, but how do they tie together? Well, I, the thing about prayer and the thing about meditation, the thing about searching for some, some help in your, in your life, you got to believe in what you're searching in. And if you pray and you don't believe it, you're wasting your time. Sure. Matter of fact, when people come up to me and will at church, sometimes at the end of the service, we'll be up there, we'll ask people to come forward. If they like to have prayer for their family, if they have a sickness, just, you know, and when they come up, I'll say, let me ask you a question before we pray. Pray, do you believe that God will hear your prayer? Yeah. Do you believe he'll answer your prayer? Well, I hope so. I said, well, we need to stop first because I think we're wasting our time if we are hoping that he does. I think we need to believe and accept the fact that he will and that he is hearing it and that he is going to. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean it'll always happen? No, right. but it sure carries you through the challenge. And so when you go in with a problem and you pray about it, you've got to believe that what you're praying about is going to happen. It's actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're going to call forth something that's not as though that it is and believe for it. And prayer has to be a connection with a higher source and higher power that you believe in, have trust in, have faith in. And, and then you just say, you start seeing yourself already living in it. You know, I mean, I think that's so. But that's visualization. I mean, that, that's kind of, it's a yeah. little, little bit, but the reality of it is that you just say to yourself, there's a higher source, there's a higher power than me anyways. And he's in charge of everything. The Bible story, Abraham wanted to have a baby with Sarah and he was pushing a hundred and she was 90. And, and so, uh, and God told Abraham, he says, Hey, uh, I want to make you the father of many nations. And he's going like, yeah, right. Have you seen my wife? You know, and, yeah. and have you looked at me? You right. know, and he's pushing a hundred and she's in her nineties. And, and all of a sudden God says, no, no, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he said, all right, you said it. I believe it. His wife said, you got to be kidding. And she laughed Sure. and she lost the faith, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, he became the father of yeah. many nations yeah. because he believed what he read. He believed what he heard and, and he lived it, anticipated and expected that to happen in his life. Sure. It's not positive thinking. It's having faith and hope in something higher than yourself. Sure. Yeah. So it's an interesting correlation. So faith and hope are amazing, but I think people really, a lot of times need inspiration. Right. So where do you, where do you get your inspiration from for you personally? And then what do you, when you're talking to people, how do you guide them towards something that, that inspires them that they can actually kind of follow maybe? Well, I believe that I'm a dreamer. I like, I like to dream. I, uh, you know, I like to think about things that we can have and we can accomplish. I can remember as a little kid, I wanted to be a professional bowler because I looked on TV (laughs) and I saw a guy bowling. Have you bowled a 300 game? No, I've, but a whole (laughs) bunch of two nineties, but uh, never did the 300. But, but I can remember having hope for that. And I, because I had an uncle who was a professional bowler. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, he's in the hall, the hall of fame. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Cool. His name is Buzz Fazio. And that is uh, a fantastic bowling game. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it? Buzz, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Fazio. <laughs> Anyways, but he was a little guy about five foot six. He's about my size. And, uh, but he was an amazing bowler. And I met him once and he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a professional bowler. <laughs> and he said, all right, then let's set a plan for it and start dreaming and start seeing yourself do it. So I would go out on my backyard on our concrete patio and I would take a plastic ball and I'd set up sticks and I would throw them at those to knock them down, right? And people say, well, how does that help? It was helping me envision and see that someday I can have what my dream is. Well, to cut that all off, when I was 16 years old, I was offered to 
go on the uh, summer pro bowlers tour. And I was offered to be a sponsor and I had a, and I, my dream came true. And all of a sudden I had qualified to be a professional bowler. I had more than the average that was needed. And I, all the way through that, I didn't let go of my dream. I'm mm-hmm. a, I believe in dreams and uh, we should all have dreams. And sure. I tell the people I counsel, we need to reset your dreams. What are your dreams? What did you use to have dreams? Let's, let's dig them out. Let's go and pull them off the shelf. Let's dig up our old dreams and let's start dreaming again. And we, so life kind of has a way yeah. of beating down your dreams, I feel like. Sometimes. It does. Yeah. There's no question, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean the dream still isn't there. Sure. We, even sure. though you get beat up and, you know, you get knocked around and whatever, you basically, you, you pick yourself up. You look at all of these pro athletes and stuff. They've all went through difficult times and, mm-hmm. and their dream was what? To be a pro. And they'll tell you how they went through it and how somebody help them get through it. And when they didn't give up on the dream, they could see when they would catch a, foot, a football in high school and they run in for a touchdown, they could imagine themselves doing that in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And many of those guys, you know, in later on life, went to college, went on to pros sure. and their dream was fulfilled. So I ask people to dream again. Mm-hmm. And so, let's, I mean, let's dream again. We got to know what happened. So you're 16 years old and you're, you're right there on the verge of your dream. I'm there. My dad's saying, you got to do it. You got to do it. So why don't you go out? And, and I was going to leave for three months for the summer and tour with this group of people. In those days, you never make hardly any money in it. And it was just a bus tour and you'd everybody go on the bus and they'd take yeah. you to cheap hotels and whatever. And so my mother said, um, you're not going to go. <laughs> and my dad said, but I want him to go. Right. And my dad was a wise man. And he said, <laughs> I agree with you, honey. He's not going to go. <laughs> so my mom and dad, you know, knocked down what I wanted. But, you know, the reality of it was that that really wasn't the big deal. Looking back on it, I don't regret any of that. Yeah. I accomplished the goal that I wanted to have. When that man said, you qualified, you're on the tour, I'll sponsor you, your funds are taken care of, you can go and compete. Now, what's sure. interesting, I was bowling against guys who went on to go into the pros. Oh, wow. And now that some of those are Hall of Famers. Sure. And I used to bowl against them and they would beat me and I beat them. Yeah. And, and of course, my dad and I went on to bowl together. We won state championships, father and son, those types of things. So those are, those are rewarding to me. Sure. But looking back on it, there wasn't any real money in it anyways. And I probably would. Today, they do better. But right. even today, they still don't make a whole lot yeah. of money yeah. in that room. But I thank the Lord that I, comp- that I achieved that goal. It was wonderful. But then you move on and things change and you have other goals and other dreams. So I'm always curious to ask folks like you, firefighters, pastors, police officers, how do you keep going with all the negative news you listen, all the negative stuff you experience, the stories here from people who just are at rock bottom? How do you keep going? Could you take that stuff home with you at night? Yeah, I, I, I just, I have this feeling and I have something I think that, that the good Lord's given me and I, I read it in the word of God, the stories of these great men and women who did incredible things. And I love to read, I love to read stories and books on businessmen who get involved in in helping other people no philanthropy approach yeah it's like like i I, the life of uh, andrew carnegie Mm -hmm. i mean that man spent his entire life doing what making money yeah and today if he was alive i've recently read an analysis that said that if he was alive today he'd be the richest man in the world he'd be worth about 320 to 350 billion dollars what he was worth back in the day when he was doing his steal, right? Well, all of a sudden it hit him. There's more to life than me making money. Matter of fact, I need to spend the rest of my life giving away what I made. And, uh, oh boy, um, 
when you think about the fact that you can achieve something and you, it's not just for yourself, it's for yourself and for other people. And then he went around and did what? He talked to Rockefeller, he talked to Ford, he talked to all the incredible industrialists of the day and convinced them they need to do the same thing. And we had a, a we had an incredible uh, move of uh, entrepreneurs pouring money and and into colleges and and churches and hospitals and were built all over the country by these men who made money. They got through it and and they had a higher goal than what than what they thought they had. They had a more a bigger purpose in life than what they thought they had. I guess I keep looking for what's next on the agenda. You know, when I stepped down from the church, you know, my wife and I started a church. Our pastor said, I want you to go to Scottsdale and start a church. I said, great. Do I have any money? He said, no. Can I have some of your people to take with me? No. I said, no, that's cool. That's good. That'll be good. And he says, but I want you to start a church. He says, there's a guy that said he might give us a bunch of money if we start a church. And I said, okay, well, would I get that for the church? And he says, yeah, if it ever comes. And so I'm sitting there thinking, all right, that's enough for me. And so based on that, we stopped everything else we were doing yeah. and our focus became on that because it was a great right. opportunity. 50 years of age, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about retirement in five years, you know, yeah. and then I thought, I, who am I kidding? I'm not going to retire. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, so, so basically there was a new opportunity and my wife and I were like two little kids with a brand new toy. We were kind of like Christmas is coming, you sure. know, and we want to open up the boxes. And so we went out and started all over again, sold our business, <clears throat> liquidated in a horrendous real estate market. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden we had homes to sell. And I thought, well, you can always sell them depending on the price. Yeah, that's exactly. And, you know, and so I just said, ask people to give us whatever they want us to give and we'll get rid of the houses. We had models in various mm-hmm. locations. And I said, we need to liquidate everything because I want 100% to go into what we've been called to do to go start this church. And so we sold out everything very quickly. We had owned land in the desert that nobody would even call us on. <laughs> you know, went out and bought some good pieces of land. Uh, we were buying land in Pinnacle Peak when it was $1,000 an acre. People tell me, boy, wouldn't you like to do that? And I said, I did do that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's nice, but if nobody ever buys it back from you, you, you have nothing. So yeah. we, we would sit on a piece of land for 20 years, 25 years sure. before it would sell. So we basically knew that there was going to be an opportunity. We pour ourselves into it. And when when we had a new opportunity, it just took 100% of what we had, 100% of our effort, 100% of our time, and 100% trust in God to take care of it for us and in the knowledge that he's given us. So you operate on what you have in your own heart, your mind, your soul, and what the Lord has to offer. I read examples of other people and what they've accomplished that's where I get excited. Mm-hmm. I can get so pumped up reading about somebody else, especially a businessman sure. who went into ministry or stayed as a businessman, but then took care of other ministries. Mm-hmm. The Hobby Lobby guy, for example. Oh, yeah. He gives yeah. away 90% of his income mm-hmm. to charities. Yeah. Yeah. I amazing. Mean, it's amazing. And people say, well, how can he do that? I said, well, he makes a lot more money than you yeah, think he yeah, does. Yeah. And not only that, but when he wasn't making a lot of money, he gave. Sure. And he saw if he helped other people, the Bible says that whatever you give will come back to you, pressed down, shaped together, running over. So mm-hmm. if you give kindness, you'll get kindness back. If you give friendship and love to people, you'll get it back. If you give up finances to things, you're going to get blessed in your life financially. And so mm-hmm. I just believe what we what we sow in life, we reap in life. Sure. So this is a pretty big pivot, but um, okay. we didn't mention this one. All but right. Also an author. So 
Um, I, I've read, I think you have two of them, if I remember correctly, but I read one of your books about Vietnam. Right. So if you want to talk about a need for hope and inspiration in a war, boy, you need that, right? So, yeah. I, I mean, you, you've lived that. Where did you get your, your hope for the future, you know, and your inspiration probably to get out of there? Where does that come from? Well, you know, I was one of those kids in college and then uh, the Vietnam War was starting. I was a, a freshman in college, at Phoenix College. And um, I got a letter that says your uh, your name's going to be listed and you're going to be called in for the, uh, not drafted. The draft hadn't started yet. It was in 1966. And so they said, but you're going to be inducted into the military. So I called and said, uh, I'm in school. Can't I at least finish the semester? And I said, no. And uh, we've got a goal of 30,000 men a month that we need mm. to, to, re, to, to, in, to draft or to, sure. to induct in there. So I said, well, if I volunteer to go in, how long until I can get out? Well, two years. And if you volunteer, you got a good chance of not going to Vietnam. I went, well, then I'll volunteer, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. So I volunteered and five months later, I was in Vietnam. So <laughs> when I got back from Vietnam, <laughs> when I got back from Vietnam, uh, I mean, I, I left Vietnam in Vietnam. Uh, didn't know that I was having PTSD, post-traumatic mm. stress disorder. But I was having it because my wife said you constantly at night would talk and you'd sit up in bed and you'd get out of bed and you'd walk around, and you'd get back in bed. And she said you and you'd be talking about what's happening in Nam. And I said, well, she said, and sometimes I'd get out of bed and just kind of stand to the side and wait until you got back in to see if you're going to calm down. I said, really? She, wow. she said, yeah, it went on for a long time. And I, I didn't even know it. I didn't know it was even going on. But that was happening. But I was so excited about being home and leaving Vietnam I'm one of those guys that came back out of the air. When I got out of the airplane, I stood on the tarmac and I, and I kissed the ground. Yeah. I, th yeah. I thought that was kind of stupid and corny, you know, when yeah. I saw it in movies and stuff. But when I came back from Vietnam, I was so happy about being home mm -hmm. that what happened in Vietnam, I let go of. Right. Now, the people around us were negative, mm -hmm. terribly negative. Yeah. And I mean, I, I went into banking of all things uh, right out of that. Uh, and uh, I would sit with guys at lunch and there'd be three guys and me having lunch together and they'd be ripping apart the Vietnam veterans who were, quote, killing babies and raping oh, wow. women. Yeah. And I wanted to get up and uh, you want to talk about killing, you know, I'll, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah. and I'm sitting there. I'm just like, I can't believe they're doing this. And so at the end of the conversation, say, oh, by the way, guys, I served in Nam. Yeah. And they're all like silence. Oh, what branch were you in? Uh, Army infantry. Not exactly the best place, yeah. but they promised me I would get a good assignment and all that. And that's not what happened. So I wound up in Army Infantry. Um, I, I was blessed, though. The Lord protected me. And I wound up in, in a unit that, uh, and I became a clerical person. Mm -hmm. But yet I still had to go on patrols. Sure. I still had to be on guard duty. I still had to, you know, go around and, and help get the people out of their little villages and stuff in mm -hmm. order to keep them safe from the Viet Cong coming in. So got exposed to a lot of, got shot at a lot mm -hmm. uh, by snipers and stuff. Yeah. I'm glad they were bad shots, but <laughs> um, came back from Vietnam. But I realized that I've been through it and that was now my past. Right. It's not my future. Mm -hmm. And when I, when you think about what you've gone through, don't go back and keep living it. That's such a profound statement. Leave it there. Yeah. Just don't go back and pick it up. Right. You know, when you do something wrong, you, you don't want to go back and pick it up. And and if they, as long as I didn't think about it, as long as I moved forward and had lots of dreams and plans for a future here, then then I knew that I'd be fine. My wife's the one that said, you know, honey, after all, you know, we've been back from Vietnam all these years. You pastored now. We had our business, whatever. You need to write a book. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> last thing I wanted to do was write a book on that. Yeah. Well, I did. And yeah. I sat down. We had a home up in Prescott. We went up there. And over a period of about six weeks going up there for three or four days at a time, I really wrote that book from scratch, yeah. you know, and wrote that down. That was my first one. And then that one inspired me to write another book on Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with PTSD and yep. Agent Orange exposure yep. because I was exposed to Agent Orange. 50 years later, I wound up being diagnosed right. with myeloma bone marrow cancer mm-hmm. due to exposure to Agent Orange. You know, so that brought back some stuff. Sure. But I, even though it brought back stuff and thoughts, my future was not Agent Orange. My future mm-hmm. was not the cancer. My future was not PTSD. God's got a future for me. And so we moved on. And those two books led me to write five more. And I'm in, yeah. my, I'm in yeah. my eighth one right now. Yeah. And now I'm writing about life, walking mm-hmm. about how to live a good life. I've written on how to get out of debt mm-hmm. and how to get your finances in order. I've written about how to live in faith and peace and how to, you know, how to have a, a good life. And I've got a new one coming out called Faith for Miracles mm-hmm. because the fact that I'm sitting here alone is a miracle. It Even is, my doctor yeah. at Mayo Clinic looked at me after my treatments and he said, I said, doctor, can you explain to me what's happened? He said, no, science can't. But he said, it's a miracle. And he mm-hmm. took his little, his pen and he wrote the big word miracle on there and circled it and initialed it and said, that's the explanation. Wow. The fact that you're even here today. So, sure. so God's got a plan for us mm-hmm. and he went, but we have to take the step. Bible says the steps of a righteous man are led of God. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can just sit here and yeah, expect God just to you. do yeah. everything for you. You know, yeah. you got to go out and grab it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I hope how do you, how do you stay focused on being so positive? Um, read the word of God, pray and pray for other people's needs. Before I came here today, I have about 80 people on a prayer list that every single day I look at their names and I look at what they're going through. And I just say something simple like, Father, would you bless Mike? And, and that cancer healing of it. And I'm done. Mm-hmm. But I go through 50, 60, 70, 80 of those people. Their needs are far greater than mine. You know, and I live um, through seeing other people do well. Mm-hmm. And my joy is when I see people healed, when I see marriages get back together. And that keeps me focused. That keeps me on track to to live. Because I, I can't keep pouring into myself. If you keep pouring into yourself, you'll become the the... the uh, the Dead Sea. Yeah. The Dead Sea is dead because why? It just takes everything and doesn't give anything away. Mm-hmm. And so if you what you receive, you share that with others and help others, then that flows. I believe that God, I like to see myself as a conduit, a big old open piece of pipe, right? Conduit. <laughs> and the blessing comes in here, right? right? And it comes into me and it takes care of everything I've got, all my needs and more than my needs would be. But then it flows on through too to bless other people. Sure. We're blessed to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. That's how you stay focused. Keep keep thinking that other people are more important than you are. That's a that's a principle we need to learn to yeah, live by. Yeah. You know, that's why you That you is not a common principle. In that's not. World. And yeah. it, I'm, I'm writing a new book. I don't know if I'll ever get it out. It's something I've been wanting to do. Uh, Donald Trump wrote a book entitled The Art of the Deal. Yeah. And pretty successful, you know. Yeah, he's, he, done, he, a he, he's yeah, done a few things. He's done a few things. President. Yeah, I'm yeah. working on a book entitled The Art of the Fair Deal. Mm-hmm. Now we're real estate guys. Yeah. Okay. I've got a real estate background, you know, yeah, yeah. and you're, we're talking to people probably listening to this, have some real estate experiences. I love the concept of the art of the fair deal. The art of the fair deal, fair deal says this, you win and I win. Sure. We do a deal. You win. I win. See, as a commercial developer, I found people, they wanted to win. They didn't care if you did. Yeah. 
you know, and they, if they got you on a deal, they'd be going around telling everybody else, what did I get him? Sure. And see those guys, sooner or later, they fall down anyways. Mm-hmm. But the people who look at it and say, I'm going to build you a house and it's going to be a value. I'm going to give you a price for it. I'm going to make a profit too. And you're not going to be upset that I get to make a profit. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you're happy that I make a profit as long as, as long as I'm not gouging you, right? Sure. So it's fair for both parties. Both sides win. And when we do that, you just, life is different. When, sure. you, when you focus around thinking that others are more important than we are and thinking of them as being to help them, find ways to help people. When you do that, you help yourself. When someone comes to me and they says, Pastor, I need a job. And I'll say, well, first thing you need to do is write, let's make a number list of things you need to do. Now, go find someone else who needs a job and help them find a job. Because as you help them find a job, then you're helping yourself know what you need to do to find a job. Sure. So if a guy's unemployed, you come to me, I don't help you find a job. I help you, I help you show someone else how to get it. And then you teach them. And as you're teaching them, you're teaching yourself, oh, I need to do that. Yeah. And oh, I need to do that. And yeah, and and we gain by giving away and by blessing sure. someone else. So sure. that's life and that's how we stay focused. So th- this podcast has flown by really fast, <laughs> uh, which is absolutely incredible. It's always <laughs> great to talk to you. But before we kind of wrap up, yeah. um, what I find amazing is that at this point, I think you've produced like 250 podcasts, something yeah, along that um, lines. Yesterday, I finished my 266 podcast in two and a half years. Incredible. That's incredible. So and, uh, how did, that, how did that, that channel come to you? I mean, what made you want to do that? Well, you know, I, I stopped preaching at the church. Sure. And so I'd had prepared one or two sermons a week for the church. And, but that didn't mean I didn't stop. I didn't stop reading the Bible and reading other materials I love to read. And I enjoy reading of other people's successes and whatever. And I like to see how other people are doing. And all of a sudden it hit me. I got to find a way to get this out without asking people, invite me to your church, invite yeah. me to your church. And yeah. a lot of guys do that. I just never wanted to do that. Sure. And so all of a sudden I was looking at a magazine and it said podcasts. And I thought, I heard about those. What are those things? You know, <laughs> and, and then I found out what that was. And I called a magazine that did them. And I said, uh, would you be interested in having someone do a podcast on for Christians doing with their finances and how to live a good positive life and how to be successful and, and, and live the abundant life and whatever? They said, yeah, that'd be awesome. I said, well, I'd like to be a part of that. So I got on with Charisma Magazine mm-hmm. and they said, why don't you try this? And so I went out and bought myself a microphone <laughs> and I sit in my office at home. We don't have any children at home. I don't yeah. have any dogs. So I don't yeah. have the barking. I don't have the kids. Right. And kids are all raised and uh, just sit down and prepared like a mini 25 minute type sermon. Mm-hmm. And I do series. What's funny is that what I'm doing on my podcast is what I used to do to prepare to preach. Sure. I would have a series. Most churches now have a series of messages. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about this or that. And I do the same thing with the podcast. And so, and I got into it and I liked it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'd look up and say, oh my goodness, you know, last month, a thousand people people downloaded your podcast. I went, wow, really? Then 20,000, then 30,000, then 40,000. You're going, amazing. oh my goodness. And so I guess maybe what I have to say might be helping someone. Sure. What's funny is that I don't make any money off of it. Mm -hmm. But I thought, well, Lord, if I don't make any money, this is a little pricey. I have to pay for certain things. So then some guy listened to it and he called me up. And he says, hey, do you take donations? I said, well, I don't, I don't even have a nonprofit. And he <laughs> yeah. said, well, why don't you get a nonprofit and I'll give you some money? I went, 
okay. So <laughs> honestly, I got online. Mm -hmm. I heard stories that it takes a year, two, three yeah, years yeah. to get it. The 501c3. Oh, or yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And I have all those stories. But what I did was I, I got online. I filled out the forms. I answered all their questions. I sent the package in. And two weeks later, I got a letter from the IRS that says, you've been approved for your nonprofit. Your David C. Friend Ministries wow. is now a nonprofit. You can take donations and give people a receipt for that. And, right. and it's a deduction for them. I'm going, wow. So I, I guess the good Lord wanted to open up a door for me. I still had to do the work yeah. to get the thing done. But so now I don't have to worry about finances on it because yeah. I've got money coming in, flowing. That's amazing. And I never asked for a penny. Right. So right. where do people learn about your books and your Well, podcast? if they just want to put davidcfriendauthor.com, everything you need to know about me, whether good, bad, or indifferent, you know, <laughs> is there. And you can see my webpage. On the front of my webpage, it says links to podcasts. And mm -hmm. they click that link. It takes them into 266 sure. podcasts. And a year from now, it'll probably be 400 and something, oh, whatever it is. And, prolific. And, and various topics and series. And I tell them about the series. And that's how they find out about Dave, David C. Friend Ministries. So in addition to writing books and hosting a podcast, what else are you doing these days? Are you doing groups or speaking? I do an awful lot of one-on-one -on -one counseling with mm -hmm. people. I didn't realize it was going to be such a demand. Uh, probably every day of the week, and not probably every day of the week, there's someone I spend time with either on a Zoom meeting or a phone call or a coffee, trying to help them with what they're dealing with in life, whether it be financial, marital, whatever. I've got a couple of dozen marriages right now. I'm trying to help them get things together. And it's biblical counseling is what it is. And the same thing with guys in business who know me and, you know, know my background and people that go to the church um, uh, call up and say, you have some time. Matter of fact, my wife's out today uh, helping some people. I love that. You know, that's so that's what we She's do. She's an amazing you know, woman. We find ways that we can help people. And I never lack for things to do. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. And, and we love it. We really Absolutely. do. And I've got six grandkids now. Oh, and we just had our two great grandchildren congratulations and that's my, a big one you know your kids are getting old when they start <laughs> yeah, they're having babies and yeah. then their babies start having babies that's they're fantastic. getting old we're not but yeah. they are <laughs> absolutely know. they're aging <laughs> so there you go just like another amazing inspirational uh session speaking with pastor david friend john doring and this is larry davis and that's that's over coffee and thank you so much for being here sir it's been great thank you pastor friend thank, thank you. you thank you guys